Everyone interprets everything. God's Word interprets God's world. Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Eckel, president of the Comenius Institute. At Comenius, we interpret all of life through the lens of Scripture. We interact with students and professors, churches and business people, leaders and entrepreneurs about God's truth in every endeavor. Join the growing number of Comenius Institute contributing patrons. Christian interpretation begins with God's Word, so we can interpret God's world. The Comenius Institute, where Christian we wisdom... We are back, Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We have taken a one-week break. Last week it was nice to be off for July 4th. In fact, it was our first break in two and a half years. Uh, we are up past 125 episodes now. We're up to 126 today. Really glad to do what we do, which is constantly, every single week, uh, to emphasize to people around Indianapolis, around the nation, around the world, frankly, we have... Everyone interprets everything. God's Word interprets God's world. Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Eckel, president of the Comenius Institute. At Comenius, we interpret all of life through the lens of Scripture. We interact with students and professors, churches and business people, leaders and entrepreneurs about God's truth in every endeavor. Join the growing number of Comenius Institute contributing patrons. Christian interpretation begins with God's Word, so we can interpret God's world. The Comenius Institute, where Christian wisdom... We are back, Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We have taken a one-week break. Last week it was nice to be off for July 4th. In fact, it was our first break in two and a half years. Uh, we are up past 125 episodes now. We're up to 126 today. Really glad to do what we do, which is constantly every single week uh, to emphasize to people around Indianapolis, around the nation, around the world, frankly. We have three, 400 folks uh, around the world watching us uh, at any given moment. Uh, what we find here in Indianapolis are folks who are doing good around Indianapolis based on Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14, those commands to Christians in a pagan public uh, emphasis and atmosphere, and that's what we are all about here at Warp and Woof Radio. My co-host, Dr. Clyde Posley, will be rolling up here anytime soon. But until then, let me tell you about the three bridges that Comenius crosses into the community here at Indianapolis. The first bridge we cross is into college. Uh, that specifically is on the campus of IUPUI. I meet with students individually, small group uh, kind of settings, to help them to understand their uh, perspectives on academics from a decidedly Christian point of view, to answer their questions that they're being asked in classes. Uh, from time to time, they're sending me text messages of PowerPoint slides and the kinds of things that uh, are happening in and around campus, and we have great discussions uh, that way. And this uh, particular semester, I'm, I'm privileged to be able to become a professor there at IUPUI, uh, glad to be teaching uh, in a class entitled Reading, Writing, and Inquiry. So it'll be a lot of fun to talk with students about how to think, and that's an important endeavor. The second bridge that we cross is into communities. The communities, of course, are the communities in and around Indianapolis, in and around Indiana. We've had folks uh, from all over the place here, even f folks from Illinois and Ohio. Uh, but nonetheless, our focus is specific to helping communities unite with each other with special interest in black and white communities and black and white leaders around Indianapolis. And so one of the great things, having uh, a black PhD and a white PhD in the same radio show is to say to, to Indianapolis, you know, we can actually talk with each other, we can actually work together, uh, we can actually be friends. How about that? that? That'd be kind of a nice thing, wouldn't it? And then the third thing, the third bridge that we cross is into culture. So this week, for instance, I've been uh, getting requests to do 
uh, gothic horror literature series down on the campus of Marion University. And so we'll be look forward to doing something like that with them in the fall. And various things that are going on in and around Indianapolis, writing opportunities, uh, speaking, uh, video, uh, all kinds of things. Please do go to our websites. Warpandwoof.org is my personal website. And you'll see there this ongoing uh, two in Truth in Two episodes that we're putting out. We're showing video uh, of... Uh, kind of teaching that we're doing, highlighting one Christian truth in two minutes. So our focus there is always to do the same thing, which is uh, to highlight one idea, one Christian biblical idea uh, from a decidedly Christian point of view, and then that cultural uh, connection, of course, to those kinds of things. So you'll see those coming out weekly. And then, of course, ComeniusInstitute.org or .com. You can go there and see all of the writing, all the videos, all the YouTube, everything that you uh, that we've put out so far. Over 600 essays are on these websites, uh, multiple videos, multiple podcasts, even my preaching from uh, Joshua Chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago at my home church. So find those kinds of things when you go to those websites, warpandwoof.org and cominiusinstitute.org, and we will uh, be able to serve you there. Please uh, send any kind of uh, connections or email requests via those websites, or uh, shoot a note to me at echo1957 at gmail. That's echo, E-C-K-E-L, 1957 at gmail. I'd be happy to talk with you about connections, not only in, the, in and around the community, but perhaps even the possibility of uh, suggesting guests to be on this particular program. This week, before we take a one-song break, uh, we're going to be talking about Christians in higher education, specifically we're interested in the Indianapolis Theological Seminary that has just uh, gone live, if you will, uh, this particular year. Uh, they're offering full schedule here this coming fall. Looking forward very much uh, to the future for them. They've already started, of course. Uh, but we'll be talking generally about Christian uh, higher education in the first hour. And then the president of Indianapolis Theological Seminary, uh, Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski, will be joining us in the second hour. Looking forward to that interview. So let's take a one-song break, and when we return, we'll start the discussion. Why should Christians, why should churches be interested in higher education? This is Warp and Woof Radio. We'll be right back. And we are back. Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We are also YouTube Live, which is archiving these, uh, these events actually as we speak. Dr. Clyde Posley, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Good it's morning. always a privilege to have you sitting next to me, man. Privilege is mine, my friend. Uh, it's a blessing. <laughs> so we, uh, we begin this discussion today, one of those discussions that, quite frankly, needs to be had more often right. in the church as a whole. I agree. And uh, we have this kind of uh, dearth, I think, this, this, this lack of uh, higher education, conservative, let me put it this way, conservative evangelical Christian higher education uh, not only in, in and around Indianapolis, but also uh, throughout the country, throughout the world. But we're privileged, of course, uh, to have a brand new seminary uh, actually representing right. uh, a conservative perspective now. So let's just talk about the church generally as we start this, this episode and talk about why higher education for the Christian church is essential. From your perspective as a pastor, as a pastor in the black community, your point of view. Well, you know, Second um, Second uh, Timothy chapter two and verse fifteen admonishes us to study, uh, to show ourselves approved unto God, 
workmen who need not be ashamed, who rightly divide the word of truth. My my pastor, Dr. A.L. Kane, who is uh, no longer with us here on this side, uh, that, that's the first passage he required hmm. of me as a young preacher hmm. to memorize. Hmm. Uh, not John six three John three sixteen. He told me that you know you you you're going to learn the Roman work salvation. You're going to learn John. You're going to learn John. I need you to make your life's mission at this point a sort of umbrella that will take care of everything else. If you if you pursue mm. studying mm. to show yourself mm-hmm. to present yourself properly and rightly divide the word of truth, mm. it will take care of everything else that you need to do Mm. to serve God Mm. every mission every assignment every calling and so uh in 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 Christianity I think that is the single largest missing link Mm. to to true mission work is understanding the word of God Mm. so much of I've just had a conversation with someone about this so much of what is wrong with uh, our ministry, domestic ministry, as well as foreign uh, uh, mission efforts, has to do with our uh, loose embrace of the scripture. Mm. The gospel is the power of salvation. Yes, uh, unto salvation. But but uh, so many of us in, in in all communities. But as you said, I, I passionate African American. So many of us, uh, so many people do not uh, see the true value of clearly understanding linguistic, linguistics, clearly understanding the history, clearly uh, learning to think through the process mm-hmm. of apologetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, 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 and some, many who do embrace the Bible, and I, I hate to say this like this, but, but, mm-hmm. but they only embrace what they understand, many only embrace what they understand mm-hmm. about Scripture. Yes. That's an insult to Augustine. Yes, and early church fathers, mm. uh, because here are men who spent their lives interpreting scripture mm. for the betterment of humanity, mm-hmm. uh, not just to prosper or find a way to mm. to get a blessing or to to uh, procure what I want. Mm. These people were trying to deal with the morals that 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 uh, or lack thereof that either strengthen or or debilitate a society mm. and so and so uh, furthering education you know I, I, I said before I have uh, about 50 over almost 60 sons and daughters in the ministry and uh, it's a requirement for an ordination for me through mm. our church mm. it's just not you know I don't believe that you are fully prepared for the world without extended uh, theological training. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, fascinating that you bring up Augustine, uh, City of God, of course, and uh, the, the two cities that, that uh, Augustine deals with there. And just for the sake of saying this, because quite frankly, a lot of folks in the Western world don't realize that Augustine was African. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we say that. And it's one of those things that uh, sometimes in church history we have this tendency to forget. So let's get back to this issue. Uh, the essential issue, really, for, for us is that we go back to Scripture. When we think about going back to Scripture, having Scripture be not only the foundation but the permeation of all of life, mm-hmm. when you think about that uh, necessity, you have a Ph.D. in political science. Mm-hmm. I have a poli- uh, Ph.D. in social science research. 
why is it so imperative for Christians to have a theological base if we have those kinds of degrees? Why is it that we shouldn't just go out and say, yeah, we're Christians but we, and, and we have these kinds of degrees? Why is theological education essential even for those who have those kinds of degrees? Because God is the origin of true philosophy. God, God, is, the, God is the origin. God is truth. Hmm. He is, you know, Christ says he, he's the way, the truth, and the life. But, but God is, the, is, 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 is epistemology. Yes. He is the source of truth and knowledge. And, and, and no, no occurrence in the human experience outruns the foundations mm. of his truth. Mm. And so whatever we experience, these uh, elderly people walking across the street in front of us, mm -hmm. uh, the, the gentleman who just cursed me out as I parked my car because <laughs> I told him I was about to get on my broadcast. Oh. And he said, you people never have time for you. Here's a brother telling me, hey, you people never have time for me. Oh. I, turned, I couldn't help it. I said, brother, you, you, you don't know who I serve. You know, but 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 all of these things. So so theology helps me understand the multiculturalism of sin. Mm. Oh my, you know, the multiculturalism of sin. You know, I love it. You know, theology helps me understand that more clearly. But 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 the Bible helps me understand the reality mm. of that sin. Mm. And so if you if you if you skip the found if we skip the foundational uh, the biblical foundations mm -hmm. that teach us life who man is, what humanity's problem is, mm. how the the evolution of the original sin mm -hmm. and its effect on... Uh, if we skip all of that and just go to theological training, mm. then we become people who are informed possibly of the world, but not of the wickedness that propels the world mm. so often. For those of you not on YouTube Live and listening to this either in podcast or right now, um, I just function as Dr. Posley bobblehead doll over here. I'm just oh, bouncing my head up and down <laughs> constantly. You know, this is this is just really righteous stuff going on over here. I really love this. I wanted to get to pick up on something that we we kind of established here, which was first the foundation, but let's extend that metaphor to the house. We yes, we stand on the foundation, the authority of Scripture, but also we stand under its authority. So mm -hmm. we stand on Scripture, but we also stand under its authority. Why is that so important? Well, that, well, well that, that, that there is how we express our commitment to what we, what our foundation is. Mm. Uh, I, I think I think that's where hum, he, the human uh, condition is exposed mm. more. more. Uh, in our inability to to submit to it, ah, submit. Yeah, there's the word. Yeah, so we have a word. We, we have a, we have a world, uh, uh, even among many, uh, and, and I'm sure a, a president will, will, will concur with this. We, even among many who learn, who go to uh, theological get theological training, uh, it's easy to become puffed up with the knowledge that you have obtained, and forget that. If, if without the, if you if you're not if you don't stay consistent with your foundation mm. that you are learning and your success is going to be totally wrapped up in your ability uh -huh. to submit to what you are learning that's right if we we get this training and we go out and we get puffed up we do not minister and mm. what good is alphabet soup behind our name that we do <laughs> no real service that's right uh, yes I, I put a quote up yesterday um, a, a partial quote up from King. That what what um, wicked uh, evil-minded men have brought down, other-minded men mm. can build up. Mm. 
And there it is. Absolutely. Yeah. But 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 if those men don't submit to what they have learned. Right. So we've got foundation, uh, we've got submission because we are under the authority, so we stand on the word, we stand under the word, but there's also the necessity of permeation, that is, that the word must go through us. Mm-hmm. And this goes, and this extends to the question that I, I asked just a moment ago, having to do with our own degrees. You know, we, uh, both of us come from not only, uh, outside degrees, outside of theology, but we also carry with us theological degrees. So the necessity of those kinds of degrees, but beyond that, let's think about our thinking theologically about how we do that on a regular basis. So I'm just going to give a couple snapshots of, of some of the things we do and then just you know tag on to whatever you would like to here. One of the things that's important to us at Cominius is that we engage whoever, wherever, with whatever they are dealing with so we're doing this series of Truth in Two videos right now, which exposes one basic Christian truth and then gives uh, a very practical, specific uh, example from Scripture about each one. So we're really interested in all things. I have students, for instance, who come to me with engineering questions. Mm-hmm. They come to me with research questions. They come to me with humanities, math. It doesn't matter. We're engaging all of these kinds of things. So why is it so important for theology literally to permeate the world in which we live, and the vocation of scholarship that we pursue. You know, <laughs> you know what, what's coming to my mind is, is, is the training that, that I received in, in apologetics. And in, my, in, in apologetics training, you learn to reason. You learn to think mm-hmm. uh, biblically, mm-hmm. you know, systematically and, and, and biblically. That thinking has helped me uh, embrace principles that I use in life, in relationships, in, in uh, just just all, all walks of life as I deal with humanity. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, um, I, and so what I'm saying is that that, that, that change in my thinking affected my worldview mm-hmm. and still to this day uh, embraces how I approach everything. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when my members come to me uh, with, you know, whether it be an engineer or a supervisor at a particular uh, company, Fortune 500 company, you know, I'm, I'm talking to them about principles that I learned to embrace in my foundational teaching, mm-hmm. which means these principles uh, became a part of my inner me- inner being, mm-hmm. my inner man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to get too far from the question, but I, I do want to say that that I think the real power of seminary training. Is when it transforms yes. the student. Yes. You know when 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 theology becomes a part of your um, just inner man. That's right. Yep. Inner man. I, I, I fell in love with God. Uh, I, I, uh, I when I got saved, I appreciated getting saved. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with God as I began to understand the Scripture. Yes. And what and what the origins of the languages meant, and what and the history and the culture and the steps that the Lord took to systematically bring people to an understanding of Him. After education, uh, there's some theologians may not want to hear this, but I learned to love God. Mm-hmm. And if, if the truth be told, you know, many people would say, you know, I was I was just so I got saved, and I just loved God. I didn't. Because I didn't know him. There you go. I didn't understand. All I knew that he was that he had sent his son. Mm. He died on a cross mm. for my sins, you know. And I appreciated Jesus. I came to love him when just like a child with their parents, you know. C- children come here 
focused on their own basic needs. I'm hungry. I don't know who's feeding me, but I'm going to cry until <laughs> someone does. And I'm going to be drawn to ever to mm-hmm. toward whoever does that feeding. Mm. But then you get older and you come to understand, they go to work for me. Mm. You know, They prepared themselves to be able to take care of me. Yeah. They took steps to love me. And so my, my uh, training, academic training and, 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 and my doctoral work, I have, I, I have come to love God and I am... I, I believe, I feel like I'm ever increasing in my knowledge of him, which is causing me to love him more. Mm. You, know? you know, I don't know if uh, if you're listening to this or watching this live, if you really catch the implication of what uh, Dr. Posley has just suggested here. But when we talk about higher education from a Christian vantage point, we are not talking about just information. We're talking about transformation. Right. If there is no transformation, the information does not matter a whit. And here you have just heard a personal testimony from a Ph.D. who said, I fell in love with God when I started learning theology. We are going to be taking a one-song break here. And when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion about why the permeation of theology must exist through all disciplines, but we're going to expand that into a lifelong learning emphasis. And after uh, we come back, we'll do uh, those kinds of connections. But then after our two-song break at the top of the hour, we'll have Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski from Indianapolis Theological Seminary here with us, and we'll be discussing this further about his work in the community as well as how this is going to do the transformation through the churches, which is what we are all interested in. Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. We are back. Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We are also coming to you YouTube Live. So you see us either uh, later on, you'll see the podcast that's being archived right now, or you're watching us live right now. We're going to continue this discussion about the power and the importance of theology in the church. And we, uh, in the first segment of our discussion here this morning, we talked about standing on the foundation of Scripture, standing under the authority of Scripture, and then allowing Scripture to permeate everything that we are invested with as well. In this particular section, we want to continue that discussion of permeation, but then think uh, along this line in terms of uh, an ongoing lifelong learning process. So when you uh, talked earlier, Dr. Posley, about uh, the 58 sons and daughters that you have in the faith, uh, the individuals that you've been um, encouraging and so on, uh, do you have a a specific curricular uh, idea there, or is this just... Um, uh, an ongoing discipleship, just sharing information. How does that work for you? It, it, it's something different for what, what, what we call associate ministers. I have written a curriculum. I'm actually going to start a, uh, a three-month uh, exposition of that curriculum in September, and uh, they're required to follow this uh, 30, finish this 30-page course, um, three years in ministry, and, and, and have to be in an extended degree. Uh, so it's a different uh, it's a different level, same type. It's all ba- biblic- biblically based, but for the associate minister who, who would be a, a potentially a pastor or maybe, you know, we've sent people, ordained people and sent them to the mission field. Uh, there's also some um, legal training uh, mm. uh, in, in their training. Mm. Uh, their, you know, how to handle um, 501c3s or, mm. uh, you know, uh, making sure... You, your tax tax forms are proper. Mm. Uh, you, you, whether or not you should function with a housing allowance, all these things for the would-be pastor. Yes. And so they go through that training, um, 
as well. But uh, also, you know, they get they get sortology, they get anthropology, they get apologetics, and get uh, uh, proper uh, analysis of, of an entire per- pericope. There's a course for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is um, uh, logic, critical critical theory, mm-hmm. um, and just put some things out that. that that they would be prepared for mm. um, uh, also. And then I, there's one course I teach there uh, within that packet uh, that uh, explains how not to fall into the Christ, the, the uh, theological theology versus Christology debate, mm. you know, because uh, in many circles there is this concept of Jesus only. Mm. Uh, and uh, there is this, Everything is about Christ uh, in the church, and and there's no call. There's the thinking that Christ is everything, and there's a movement um, that desire that, that that seeks to separate uh, God the Father in one sense from God the Son mm. and God the Holy Spirit, and so uh, in this course we we discuss the unity. Mm. of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but based on Scripture. Mm. you know. So, uh, Let me just uh, suggest here that uh, if you're a pastor listening, if you're a, a person who is invested in the church in any way, uh, quite frankly, what you're hearing here this morning is not something that happens on a regular basis in most churches. Uh, you're not getting the kind of theological instruction that Dr. Posley is giving to the members of his particular congregation, much less those who are going on. He is discipling uh, toward ministry, their call, uh, for instance, into pastoral ministry. So this is really huge and important for us. Let me take this uh, a step further and and ask this question, your perspective on this, Dr. Posley. What do you think is, when I say to you uh, that theology, that the depth of theology in any given church is going to be the rootedness by which that church survives or continues into the future. I'll say that again. How does theology or the rootedness of theology uh, give us the basis for a continuation or a rootedness of that particular church into the future? Yeah, I, I, I think I think the entanglements, the potential entanglements of in the world today, in the work zone of the church, which is the world today, mm-hmm. uh, are, are prolific. Our protection to stay focused as we traverse these mundane shores is to embrace the truth. Hmm. The scripture says in, in uh, uh, John chapter 8, you sh- knowing the truth makes you free. Hmm. And, and, and so, you know, part, I think part of what is wrong in, in, in the body of Christ, in segments of the body of Christ today, is that we, are, we have let the world's thinking and, and the priorities of the world Make us forget that our mission is to be witnesses for Christ. Preach now, and 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 so and the power mm. of the Holy Spirit is yep. only to cause us to be witnesses mm-hmm. in some form or another. Yes, Jesus says in Acts chapter one verse eight, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Mm. Now, I don't care if that if you move if you if your call is to work in government. Uh, with legislation, if your call is to on the mission field, if your job is to be an engineer, whatever the case, you are first to be a witness. Mm. And and we live in a world today where the most disrespected person, in my opinion, 
the exi- uh, whom exist is the Holy Spirit. Mm. Oh, wow. He is the power that God is using in the earth realm right now mm. to cause us to be witnesses. And I'm, he is disrespected. I'm thinking about a couple of passages you relate to, to the third person of the Trinity. I think about John 16, 8 to 11, where Jesus says, I'm leaving the spirit behind and he's going to be the one who convicts the world of sin. Absolutely. And then I think about that passage in first Thessalonians chapter five, which essentially says, don't throw a wet blanket on the spirit's fire. That's right. So we have it. We have the spirit operating within the whole of the universe, but we also have the spirit working within each one of us Absolutely. as individuals. So you have this internal compulsion, which you well suggested early on in our first segment. And then we have this overview of the Holy spirit about how his investment throughout the world is continuing. Absolutely. When the church is not being, quote, the church, unquote. It is our dis, our disconnection from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. In that same passage, John chapter 16, he said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into, now this is the key word. It's not truth there. Mm-hmm. It's all truth. Uh-huh. So that means what we do not know, uh-huh. whether it be government, uh, d- domestic issues, what we do not know, what we are not doing according to Scripture, we have not let the Holy Spirit guide us into. He knows. Mm-hmm. He knows what he wants done. He's constantly trying to guide us back to his language, mm. which is the Scripture. Mm. Holy Spirit only speaks one language, mm-hmm. and it's Scripture. Mm. And so when we don't, when, when the church does not understand truth or does not walk in truth, we have disrespected the Holy Spirit who is trying to reveal more truths in seminaries. He's trying to re- re- uh, re- uh, reveal truths through pastors. He's trying, he has shows like this where, where, where people are crossing cultures, cultures for the purpose of helping people understand more truths, mm-hmm. how to embrace the otherness of people. Mm. The Holy Spirit is the most disrespected Mm. Uh, part of the Trinity. Mm. People will say they love God, love Jesus, and don't listen to the Holy Spirit. It's Let, not possible. Let's tie in our segments here from the first section that we were discussing the importance and the the uh, essential nature of theological mm. training within the church and tie, tie to the third person of the Trinity. And you, I'm sure, have heard this as well as I have many, many times, this idea that... Um, you know, when I get into the pulpit, the Holy Spirit will t- tell me how to teach or tell me what to teach. And I'm constantly shaking my head no. I- I'm saying to them, you know what? If the Holy Spirit can help you in the pulpit, he can also help you in the study. And if you don't, if you don't spend any time in the study, you ain't doing nada in the pulpit. Absolutely. So let me just make that, you, you notice how passionate I got about that. Absolutely. Just there. Absolutely. <laughs> that, it's, it's an insult to the intelligence of God. So God, it, so, so now God is now located again like the woman at the wells thought he was mm. at this one place and the pulpit then being symbolic of the well mm. so she she thought that he was there and only there jesus said listen there is a time coming i need you to understand i'm here <laughs> to expand upon your vision about wh- where the holy spirit is i'm coming to introduce the omnipresence of god and if God is living, that's the whole purpose of him seeking to live in us, mm-hmm. not just re- regeneration, mm-hmm. but to be everywhere he wants to be mm-hmm. in the earth realm mm-hmm. and to, to, to be able to witness through humans everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I don't allow that. I don't, the Lord, I don't have to study the Lord or show me what to say. Well, 
If I find out that he hadn't shown you what to say before you get to this pulpit, he won't be showing you from here. Amen. That's no. it. This is this has always been a struggle for me for folks who think that somehow intellectual acumen or knowledge base is some kind of uh, you know that's an exception to the rule. You don't need that. And this goes back to something you were I saying earlier. Really. Yeah, I was just thinking. Yeah, yeah. Go right ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, this, is, this was something you were talking about earlier when you were talking about uh, some folks within churches who suggest that somehow if you have an, uh, a theological degree, if you have a, a terminal degree of any kind, that somehow this now uh, separates you out into this group that ought to be ostracized in some way, that you're yeah. set apart, that somehow you have, you're not really with the people anymore. I suggest to everybody listening to us that the very reason why we get these degrees is to serve exactly. other people. Exactly. Exactly. One of the things that I think uh, is is left out of knowledge about King, Dr. Martin Luther King, or where it's not celebrated enough, mm. is his academic pursuit so early in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he knew the Bible. His father was a pastor. You know, and by by some standards, he could have simply, and he could have been a pastor at twenty one years old, mm. and so you know, uh, excuse me, at nineteen years old. So, so no, no, no. He goes on to to Morehouse and goes on to Boston University. Mm. Why? And, and look at what what that was for. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he literally did as much as any human to affect human American history mm. as any human who, who's ever existed, mm. and he does not do that without his academic training. Let me suggest here that if you're listening to this, once again, as a pastor, just anybody within the church, Christians interested in this topic at all, we are concerned that there is a necessity of depth of theological training. We are also encouraging people to think about folks like Dr. Posley, who's a pastor, who's educating folks within his church curricularly. But let's take this a step further and talk about how important it is for us who have these degrees, who work in the area of academics, to actually write and publish so that others in the, in the academic realm see what we are doing, see its connection to the place and time in which we are at, but also to say to our, our, our people, look at what is being done and what is being written and the power and the importance of this. Right, right. You, the writing, I made reference earlier, and, and you do often, what we were exposed to has a lot to do with uh, our pursuits as well. Mm. I saw, you saw, you know, theological training before you, you know, and you want to emulate what you're, you know, like Queen of Sheba, you get expo- exposure to product of desire, yeah. you know, so, so you, and so part of what we are doing, trying to write, trying to publish, trying to just show is we want to be seen mm-hmm. showing ourselves Approved unto God, mm-hmm. workmen who don't have to be, who who don't have to be ashamed, because I believe that some that God permits. And I don't want to get too far, but when 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 a when a person says they're handling the word, and 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 you get up and mishandle the word, God can't sanction that. Mm. God will permit, not out of sign, but permit. The shame of mishandling the word partly to show mm. this is not me. Mm. If God sanctions everything that people call preaching mm. or people call theological preaching, that that's not helpful. No. And I have I have seen scenarios 
where people will get up and misinterpret scripture and God sends someone else to explain that's not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's not true. Because because a theolo a, a lie a set up on a theological supposed theological foundation mm -hmm. is just as dangerous mm -hmm. as an outright lie. Yes. We cannot have people getting to scripture saying things that don't line up with scripture. Mm -hmm. That training, you know, keep, keep watching, making sure that door stays closed is just as, is just as important. That, that's a difficult issue as well. It reminds me of the famous line by Winston Churchill and any number of other people that uh, truth or that error is halfway, halfway around the world by the time truth gets its pants on. And this is really a, a summary statement about what you're suggesting here. Let me just uh, give some examples of what we're talking about and the necessity of what we're uh, describing here, uh, I took this last uh, mm -hmm. semester, Civil War uh, Literature and Culture. Uh, I've just had uh, my final paper been accepted for publication uh, in that particular, of that particular uh, paper. That's and great news, man. What, it is a great, great thing. And what, one of the things that was really cool about that was my prof allowed me to uh, uh, interact with the theological foundations as an opportunity to talk about what we're dealing with right here, which is this theological understanding that's permeating all things, including whatever it is that we study or talk about or preach or whatever, and then to encourage that within the church and within the people that we are engaging uh, ourselves. This is a huge issue. Let's take this just a couple minutes further before we take our next break. Your thoughts on this in terms of uh, articulating what we're doing uh, theologically in a written form, in an academic format. Yeah, I... I you know, it's, it's a dangerous society that, that seeks to, that, that stops reading. Stop, mm. stop. Because as, as, as two humanities guys, you know, the world needs to be interpreted. We need to understand the world. Writing helps us articulate our yes. thoughts about what we have been exposed to, what we, what we see. Uh, uh, but getting people to write, you know, just, just quickly, even getting guys to prepare to, you know, Sermons hmm. understand the importance of why you write it, even if you deliver it in a, in a, in a, a manner where you do not read it mm -hmm. verbatim. Write it down. Yeah. There's something about writing and and preparing mm -hmm. your seeing your thoughts. Yes, you know, and and uh, and learning to write. One, one of the one, one of one of the things I've discovered. Uh, I taught at uh, a university here in the city. It'll, it'll, remain, it'll name remain nameless. But uh, one of the one of the problems I had was getting my theological students to understand the importance of letting your mind. I call writing letting your mind breathe. Mm. Let your mind breathe. You know, write, express yourself, get it out there. Let the world know that there are thoughts like like you, some articles you read, some of the things I read. There are thoughts that people have. That we would not understand had they not sat down to write. Exactly. Yeah, we you wouldn't know, be privileged to see their ideas. Uh, Aristotle, uh, Augustine, uh, Thoreau, you know, uh, and even people Nietzsche. We may not have necessarily agreed with, but they wrote. Yes, they wrote. We don't know if we agree mm. if they don't write. And let me tie this back in just before we go to our two-song break to our theological emphasis here. One of the great things that we know about the confessions of the church all the way from the first century mm -hmm. is that most of the confessions of the church were result of her heretical That's ideas right. that were coming the through the church. 
And so the very idea that we're writing these confessions down to make sure that everybody knows, if I could put it this way for Matthew 5, our jots and our tittles are lined up properly. Uh, This is an important idea and certainly one that uh, flourishes within the church that's committed to a theological base. We're going to go to a two-song break here, but when we return... We're going to have the privilege of having Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski here with us, YouTube Live, as well as on our uh, website. You're hearing us live as well around Indianapolis, around the world. And when we uh, return, uh, Dr. Piotrowski will be talking about the good work Indianapolis Theological Seminary is doing in and around Indianapolis and, of course, by extension to other communities as well. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNX.TV at the Cool Groove site. My co-host, Dr. Clyde Posley, and I. Glad to have spent this first hour with you. Stay with us for the second hour as we continue to discuss these important issues, the theological foundation, permeation, and standing under the authority of Scripture. Two songs. We'll be right back. And we are back. Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNX.TV at the Cool Groove site. And in this second hour of discussing the necessity of theological education for the church And for Christians in general, we are pleased to be uh, joined here this morning by Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski. Good morning, Dr. Piotrowski. Thank you, Dr. Eckel. Glad to have you, sir. We are pleased to have him here because he's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on here around Indianapolis, specifically as it relates to this this seminary, this brand new seminary that's starting a full load, full complement of courses this fall. Uh, Dr. Piotrowski, before we get uh, started here, um, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, about your family, about your church uh, experiences, uh, so that we can get a little bit better background information on you. Yeah, gladly. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, and uh, I'm humbled to be here. Uh, I relish the things that I heard in the first hour. Uh, a little bit about myself. I grew up in uh, rural Maryland, north of Baltimore, kind of between Baltimore and Philadelphia. Go Orioles! And, uh, that's right. Go, go <laughs> Earl, Orioles! Uh, and uh, uh, came to know the Lord when I was 18 or 19 years old, uh, reading Ecclesiastes uh, and re- reading reading tons of scripture, but. Ecclesiastes, particularly together with the Gospels, the Lord conspired in my heart to draw me out of the vanity of my pursuits uh, to mm. the meaningfulness of um, uh, render unto the Lord the things that are the Lord's, mm. right? which would be, uh, of course, every human being. Uh, uh, studied environmental marine science in college. Uh, however, I took a class on, um, on conflict and nonviolent resolution, mm. and we were talking about uh, nature and nurture, and what makes people, uh, you know, the question that day was, was violence, right? Is it people born violent? Is it kind of just in their nature? Uh, and they find the opportunities to express that, or are they reared that way, right? So, so we started about ju- talking about juvenile offenders, and I have no idea what a bunch of 19 and 20 year old kids, you know, decided on that day, <laughs> but I remember thinking, my, you know, whatever it is, I had a good upbringing, I had good parents, good friends, just good environment. Um, and so I've just been blessed in all these ways, and I know that, that if there are juvenile offenders out there, and there are, uh, one thing they need is to, to know the Lord and the transformative power of the Spirit and the Scriptures and the Gospel. And so I made a commitment that day that I would pursue juvenile offender ministry uh, for at least a season of my life and give and then return to the sciences. Right, so upon graduation, I relocated to Denver, Colorado, where I worked with juvenile offenders, uh, chapel, uh, uh, led chapel services, Bible studies, camping trips for those who were on had a good enough behavior record they could leave the facility and come back, uh, and things like that. And I just 
in, in serving the Lord in those capacities, I just completely forgot about the sciences. <laughs> uh, and, and just really interested in people, in ministry, and theology, and truth, and history. I read a lot of apologetics until uh, my friend Rick Anderson said he should pursue a seminary degree and round out this sort of piecemeal education you're putting together through <laughs> books and so forth. And so bless you, Rick Anderson. Uh, some of the best advice I ever received. Hmm. Off I went to Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary there. Uh, and then upon graduating, I uh, did an internship at Capitol Hill Baptist Church and put a lot of ministerial feet, as it were, onto that education hmm. um, at RTS. And that's where I met my wife, Cheryl. Uh, we got married uh, 13 years ago, 2005. I taught at a Christian high school for three years, Washington Christian Academy. Church history, apologetics, and ethics to sophomores and seniors. I loved the idea of, of these kids who grew up in, in, in Christian homes, Christian contexts, to teach, to think about the, to think about apologetics and to think about ethics, sort of the life of the mind and the moral life, the classroom and the dorm that you're about to, to go off into. I uh, did that for three years, and the opportunity, opportunity to study at Wheaton College came along, too good to pass up. Pursued my Ph.D. there, uh, and then relocated to Indianapolis, because someone at Crossroads Bible College hired me uh, and uh, came to Indianapolis in 2011. And, uh, and that's the uh, short version of yeah. my biography. Well, God be praised all along the way. Absolutely. Uh, tell us about your children. Yeah, so I have two boys, Silas and Andreas. They love drawing and coloring, and it seems fighting with each other. <laughs> and, um, yeah, healthy boys. They're healthy boys. God yeah. be praised. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Cheryl has some interesting uh, in- interactions here in the community as well. I was I'm always fascinated to see the kinds of things that she's doing. Just to give everybody just a thirty second overview uh, of that. If I told you everything Cheryl was doing. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe me. Okay. <laughs> you, you you would no longer believe I'm the man of one wife. Uh, <laughs> I am. Uh, but something that I think your viewers would be most interested in is she is the director of student services at Indianapolis Theological Seminary. She has extensive backgrounds in, in, in middle, high, college, and now also graduate level uh, student services and advising and these kinds of things. Mm. A degree from Johns Hopkins University, mm-hmm. master's degree and a certificate uh, in these sort of higher ed, um, uh, higher ed administration from IU. Blue I'll Mexico. just add my two cents to that and say Cheryl is exceptional at what she does. So let's uh, talk about the issue that. Thanks for winning me some home points. And and Cheryl did not ask me to do that at a time. I just want everybody to know that. So uh, let's talk about the issue of Indianapolis Theological Seminary. Uh, tell us about the background, how it came yeah. to be. Uh, just you, right. whatever you want to take that. Right. Well, when I relocated here in 2011, I had every intention of finding this local seminary, meeting the prof students, and using the library. And as I asked people, well, where is the local seminary? I wasn't being snarky or anything. Uh, I got a lot of different answers, a lot of different answers, until finally I realized, well, there, there is no answer to this question. Uh, there's this work here and that work there, an extension campus there, or this thing was here for a little bit and now it's gone. And and all these sort of things. So finally, I, I changed my question to, what are we doing for theological education on the master's level, right? Because I had students at Crossroads asking me, where should, I, where should I go to seminary, or where should I pursue my seminary degree? And my answer was always, you, you do some research, and you find out the best seminary in the world, and you commit your time and energy and, and money and blood, sweat, and tears, and you go there, and you learn from them. But more than half of them said, well, I can't relocate. So then 
I had no answer. Right, so I'm asking pastors and other church leaders, what are we doing for master's level theological education for those who need it for your own church, for the future of the church, for the health of local churches in Indianapolis, uh, or I should say central Indiana, really, uh, and can we do it better? So long story short, in 2015, uh, enough leaders came together to uh, begin to offer one class, see what the student response was, see how the churches responded, would they send students, would they not, right? Um, and we were really encouraged that first year, fall 2015, uh, spring 2016, uh, to see the response that in the fall of 2016 then, we started offering our first full curriculum uh, that would accumulate into a Master of Arts degree, and then fall 2017, uh, offering the classes that would supplement that MA work to making full MDiv, Master of Divinity degree, and then this fall we'll be relaunching that full curriculum from the top, you might say, with mm -hmm. things like hermeneutics and uh, Pentateuch mm. at the very front of the, of the education, uh, where we think it should be, um, starting, starting this fall. That's great. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your connection now to, with the churches. The, this is a very unique concept, one that should have been followed for ages, but I, frankly, you know, you're really on the cutting edge of this. Tell us about how ITS is organized within the local church setting and specifically even within groups of local churches. Right, yeah. Well, it may seem new to us, right, but historically I think it's a little more uh, accurate to the way things have been. You mentioned how fragmented we are, right? I think our denominationalism is a bit of a luxury of the past. Mm. The reason I call it a luxury is mm. because we've had denominations where people with very similar like-mindedness mm. can work together and don't need people from other traditions mm -hmm. to help them at all because we're so self-contained, right. right? But with cultural pressures the way they are, um, I think we're discovering more and more that we have to work together across denominational lines. Mm -hmm. Therefore, to answer your question, uh, ITS is not denominationally organized. You know, we're not Baptist or Presbyterians or Anglicans or whatever. Rather, we are geographically organized. So if you believe uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency, the inerrancy of the scriptures, uh, the trinity as we were talking about earlier, these historically orthodox, evangelical, and reformed doctrines in central Indiana, then we can work together, right? Now, the different denominational distinctives that will still remain, we can work those out in local church contexts. So therefore, a large portion of the education at ITS is carried out in local church contexts. So we come together for the classroom experience on some of those important topics you mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, you mentioned languages, history, apologetics, you threw systematics in there, biblical theology, we can come together for all those things. Then the practical ministry, uh, preaching, evangelism, uh, apologetics, missions, of course, church polity, we push back to the churches and try to get those pastors more involved and say, hey, look, you're not sending your student to us. Right? You are teaching your student these important things, mm -hmm. but as these other students around the city are also studying these things, let's bring them together for the things that we can learn together mm -hmm. in this shared environment and benefit from each other. Uh, but then the denominational distinctives go back to go back to the churches mm. to continue to learn because you do need to still work within the parameters of your mission's sending body. You know, practice. Mm. Yeah. Your, right. yeah. 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 So, so you, you were yeah. you were lamenting uh, early on in the earliest comments that you made about the fact that you know you you were looking around trying to show people, hey, here's this place to go, that place to go, and then uh, realized that maybe there was something you just needed to start it all together. Uh, so 
why is that important for us? And we're talking about conservative evangelical Christians here. Why is it important for us to have a seminary in Indianapolis in that context? We're talking about conservative evangelical uh, Christians. Uh, because we love our grandchildren. We love I love that answer. Yeah. So I think about what will the church be like when my grandchildren, I don't have any grandchildren yet, but you know, are, are my age, right? Uh, the, the trends that I see happening, I see a lot of pragmatism in the churches, mm-hmm. uh, and I see a lot of um, syncretism, yes. if you would. Yes. Right? And so I think about where will the next generation of leaders come from, mm-hmm. right? And why do they have to come from anywhere? Why can't they be grown up yes. right here? Yes. Okay. So, uh, so I'm thinking about uh, a, a deft biblical literacy and a cultural literacy, mm-hmm. right? Meeting in the middle, uh, in the place of ministry, uh, powerful preaching and evangelism, and apologetics, and so forth. Uh, and so, we can take the best and the brightest in Indianapolis, and we can send them away to the best seminaries in the world. We can do that. Mm-hmm. We can do that. Will they come back? Maybe not. Great for wherever they end up. But some of them should end up here. Some of them have to end up here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, if we can train people in our own local church contexts, they can stay embedded in their local churches, not detached from their local church. Yes. Go somewhere as a pilgrim and come back, which there's value to that. I did that. Mm-hmm. I did that. But not everybody can do that. Not everybody so those can. who can't, what do they do? They either go into ministry uh, I say swinging a dull axe. Oh yeah! Right, or they're too intimidated. They don't. They don't pursue ministry at all. Mm-hmm. So the world is the worst off for it. We don't have as uh, as confident or as uh, theologically accurate as mm. the problem we're talking about before um, ministers in the world. Uh, well, let's have more servants in that capacity. But then there's also the sense that, um, as my my friend Roger Williams likes to say, that when the theological tide goes up, all the ships go with it, right? So we don't only target people at ITS say, hey, you, you want to pursue vocational ministry, you want to give your life to this, come with us. We do pursue those, those people thinking in that direction. But we also pursue anybody who values the life of the mind, who there wants to go. love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. Um, and they want to take every effort and find every opportunity to do that. Now, that should happen in the local church. The local church should not be seen as a place where, well, people get saved, and then when you want to know more, go off to seminary. Mm. Right? No, the local church is, is the think tank That's for right. knowing all truth, mm. right? Uh, but why can't local churches work together? Yes. And this is what we're talking about, right? So Baptists, Presbyterians, Anglicans, uh, we have no, a lot of non-denominational churches uh, on the leadership, contributing financially and sending students so we can work together to rise raise, rise, what's the right word there, the tide of theological acumen in the city. And that will rebound in, uh, in fruitful ministries. One of the things that uh, we've done on, on our radio program, for instance, over the last few years is actually have the state of the church in Indianapolis. And uh, we actually had Roger Williams on ah, in January. Good. Oh, did you? Uh, so, and also Nathan Lugbill from Castleview ah. uh, and Shalman and yourself, Pastor. Uh, and myself, and so there is actually a picture of us, and you can hear the podcast of that discussion about the necessity and the crucial nature of working together. And in that particular uh, episode, we were really concerned and consumed with black and white churches working together across cultures. But we're talking now about something that's essential for the church, capital T, capital C, altogether, 
Uh, take that a little bit further before we take our next break and talk a little bit about why it's so important to have a rootedness in theology. This was something Dr. Posley and I were at, talking about earlier. Why is rootedness in theology essential for the church? Uh, because if we don't, I mean, what, what is theology? I mean, there what you is go. That? Define okay, that term. Right. So, so God, words, words about God, true things about God, and so therefore thinking, knowing, articulating true things about God. If we don't have true things about God, what do we have? We have little social clubs, I suppose, or little um, um, self-help groups or psychology clinics or things like that. And so what you get is this sort of uh, vague spirituality that says, look, you, you have a pretty miserable postmodern existence. Let me help you feel better about yourself. Let me help you navigate these difficult things in life. But when you die, it's off into the abyss. <laughs> you know, and uh, because we don't know if any of this is true or not, right? So what we need is a conviction that truth exists. Truth is accessible. Where is it accessible? That's a, an important question. How can mm -hmm. I read it and discern it? And then articulate it to others uh, with confidence. Because either... Either Jesus was raised from the dead, and this changes everything, mm -hmm. uh, or he wasn't. It's, it's, it's a claim to historical truth. And if he was, now we have a new window open up to understanding God, the Trinity, ourselves, the way of salvation, the meaning of life, the meaning of history, uh, culture, uh, and so forth, that rounds out, I believe, um, Christian experience in this world. Mm. A friend of mine said to me, last, last comment, because I know you want to move on. Uh, a friend of mine said to me, his grandparents have not had to think in church for 20 years. Ouch. And oh. so have they grown in yeah. 20 years? I mean, wh what is this idea that when you become a Christian, you know, you go through this huge growth time for the first three or four years, and then it's just, you know, plateau the rest mm. of your life. Uh, Peter says at the end of Second Peter, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I assume he's talking to everybody. Mm. Right? Yep. All of those uh, prayers of Paul and Philippians, Colossians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, they're all saying the same thing, that you might grow in the knowledge Wisdom, of Jesus. Like yes, this is, uh, this is a huge issue for us. Yeah, adding to your faith wisdom. All of that is of necessity for us. So uh, we're going to take a one-song break, but when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski of the Indianapolis Theological Seminary. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. And we are back. Warp and Woof Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. If you're listening to us live on radio, uh, we are here at 2131 East 10th Street, right across the street from the Bonner Center, and then you can skip right across the street to Burger King and uh, get yourself fed at lunchtime. Actually, I have a lunchtime meeting today, so I've organized it right there, and I'll have my salad with uh, grilled chicken and all that good stuff, you know, make sure that we keep the waistline in check. All of that to say, we are back in our second segment of the second hour with Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski, and he is here talking with us about the necessity of the depth of theological education within the church, capital T, capital C, and working with churches around Indianapolis and then various denominational settings and bringing them all together. We've talked about some of the things that uh, distinguish ITS. I think it's important to go back and highlight a couple of things. In the last segment, you used a word that I don't think a lot of people know, and that's the word syncretism, and you uh, showed that as a problem, certainly has 
is and has been really ever since Genesis 3. Tell us what syncretism is and why that is such an insidious problem within the church. Do people know what insidious means? Oh, shoot. Here we go. <laughs> okay, so syncretism. Syncretism. What is that? The simplest definition is taking two things and putting them together so that they work together, right? And so syncretism is taking the pure truth of Christianity, of, I would say, of, of the scriptures, right, and the historical creeds and so forth, um, and then mixing that with uh, some other thought world, okay? Now, historically, I think we've spoken of syncretism as taking Christianity and another religion, mixing it with Buddhism, mixing it with Shintoism, mixing it with whatever, right? But now there are secular liturgies, right, kind of a, a, an atheistic god, if you will, right? And we're, we're, we're flushing some of the purity of the Christian expression out with the language of our current cultural moments. Now, what, what do I mean by that? I mean, we could talk for a long time of uh, certain examples. But uh, the point is, the clarity of the gospel is therefore lost. And, and, and the force of the gospel is blunted when we mix the cultural liturgy, secular cultural liturgies and language of our time together with the historical and biblical faith of Christianity. Now, I certainly think there's a way that you can say old truths in, in new ways and make sense to a new audience. I'm not, I'm not saying we have to speak in these and vows or whatever, but I do think we have to be wise of the kind of language uh, the therapeutic culture uses, mm. uh, certainly the existential, um, what well, existentialism, right, uses to express their understanding of the meaning of humanity, the problem mm -hmm. with humanity, and the solution to humanity. Right. Right, so every, every worldview has a, this is what's good about humanity, and this is what's bad, and this is the solution, right? And that stuff comes across in our economic systems, in advertising, through media, through education, through the culture we live in. Um, and it can seep down into our bones, and therefore we can speak that uh, uh, human sec secularism or right. uh, humanism or existentialism. We can speak it and think we're speaking about Christianity, but really we're dressing Christianity up, or I should put it this way, we're dressing up that atheistic existentialism right. in Christian garb, and all we're doing is propagating more of that uh, secularism secular ethos with a little bit of, a little sprinkling of spirituality on top of it mm -hmm. right yep. so what was your question again because <laughs> i feel like i may be really far afield well no you're not oh I syncretism mean, so so we so i i think that happens unintentionally hmm. i don't think someone wakes up one day and says ah oh, today's the day i synchronize uh <laughs> my christian faith with this worldliness right. and lead all my congregants in the same through my mm -hmm. preaching yes, it happens right. very slowly and one of the problems with that two two things two things run the risk of this when you start letting society interpret the scripture. Oh boy, here we go. Yep. The Bible means uh, what it means based on what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. and, so, and, and, and so you, you have this you create a situational ethic. Yep. Get, right, know, yes, that's right. That, that's, that's the yep. goal of, 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 mm -hmm. of, of, of the blending. Mm. Create an ethic that is pliable for me now and it's about self and mm. not God. Yeah. Mm. What's wrong? One thing's wrong with the world today is we are so uh, self-centered. Yes. That that in the 
this postmodern era we have, right. many instances start trying to stop and uh, finding out what God wants. Yeah. Let's just make this about us, mm-hmm. right? and let's just prosper. Mm-hmm. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry, as mm-hmm. Jesus warned would happen in this mm-hmm. thing about this time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And yeah, the, if any of your if any of your listeners are interested in what what he's talking about right now, David Wells is a great person mm-hmm. to read because he dips back far enough in history and say these are the sort of cultural and historical changes that happened 100, 150 years ago before mm-hmm. we were born, mm-hmm. right? In the stream of Western thought that we were born into and is pushing us along, and he's able to say it in ways that could really open up your eyes to things. Oh, David Wells did a nice trilogy of books on that very topic that uh, Nicholas is talking about here. This is a really uh, huge and important idea. Let me flip this around and suggest a different way that syncretism comes at us. And I'll just give one simple example of this. If you watch movies at all, which I do on a regular basis, this, this issue of redemption, for instance, we hear people talk about this is, this is a movie about redemption. Well, what people in the movie think about redemption and what Teach, scripture teaches about redemption are often two totally different things. So the syncretism comes at us in different ways and impacts us in ways, honestly, that to back to your point, the unconscious nature of this, we don't even think about it. Yeah. And that's why it's so, as you said, insidious. As you mentioned also earlier, Dr. Posley, when, when, we, when we preach, when we evangelize, when we counsel, even without saying it, we are implying, thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we say, thus saith the Lord, and then say or articulate something that he has not said, Right, that's what makes it so terrible. People right. walk away saying, oh, is that what Christianity is? Yeah, it's really not for me. They think they've done business with the gospel, so they close off their ears to the gospel for maybe the rest of their life because they think, well, I heard an articulation of the gospel, and I, I, I don't agree with that, but what they heard was a misrepresentation. Let's take this a step further and, and ask this question. Uh, just take neurobiology, for instance, since you have some science background here. It's been a long time. Yeah, I realize. But uh, nonetheless, neurobiology has been teaching us an awful lot of stuff about education over the last uh, three, five, ten years and about how human beings think and learn and so on. When we talk about this, how do we connect uh, what we find in the natural world or better, probably from a Christian vantage point, in God's creation, mm-hmm. creational revelation, how do we connect creational revelation with the revelation of the scriptures, the written word as well as the living word? That's a great question. Um, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll start this off and just mention, because Dr. Posley and I talk about this all the time, the emphasis of interdisciplinarity, of the necessity of seeing that has God left a witness within creation? The answer is obviously yes. Uh, Do uh, unbelieving people or people in other disciplines have truths to offer from that have been excised or, if you will, exegeted from that creation? Yes, absolutely. So how do we then see those interconnectivities with our teaching of the gospel? Well, I would always ask the question, in what way does the truth that is discovered in said discipline magnify the glory of God. There you go. Uh, or does it magnify the glory of the creation, full stop, without thinking of the creator, mm-hmm. right? Very um, good, yep. Or does it reveal something of our moral stature as human beings fallen, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and, and, if, and, if, and if that those answers, if those questions cannot be answered, then I think they stop short of their full capacity 
for human enlightenment, mm. right? So Jonathan Edwards' famous book, The Ends mm. for Which God Created the World, mm. was to demonstrate his own glory uh, in a way that his rational creatures, right, can appreciate that and, and, and have joy in that, mm. right? Now, the first half of his book was, I mean, the first half of that book is basically I mean, what you're talking about here, uh, general revelation, right? But then the set, whole second half of the book is uh, uh, exploring the same theme in redemptive history, mm -hmm. in the scriptures, mm -hmm. right? So he sees these two going together for the purpose of glorifying God. One in creation, though fallen, the other in redemption. Mm. Uh, and that's... I think mean, that's a question every human being needs to ask. One what of, must I do to be saved? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that a lot of folks don't know about Jonathan Edwards, they think about him either in terms of his theology or sinners in the hands of an angry God. And Jonathan Edwards wrote and taught and spoke on a whole bunch more than that. But one of the things that people often forget is that he was in himself a scientist in, in the sense of exploring the creation of God and giving glory to God within that focus right. and had, had written a lot on that particular topic, uh, just generally about the creation itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the necessity of understanding theological truths and the depth of insight that's necessary here probably leads us uh, to this next section, which really is about the professors and the students. So tell us a little bit about the kinds of professors that you have at the seminary. Tell us about the kinds of students. You can take this in any direction you want to go. Tell us stories, uh, give us snapshots, whatever. Yeah, so the professors we're aiming for are professors with uh, terminal degrees and or significant um, uh, academic experience in the discipline they're teaching, right? So just having a PhD is not the same thing as saying, well, having a PhD in ancient Near Eastern thought. Boom, we're going to give you the Pentateuch, right, mm -hmm. uh, or whatever. Uh, so we really – one good thing about uh, – uh, about ITS is that we're able to pursue professors who have these expertise and we fly them or drive them in for the classes. So students can be confident that they're getting what should be uh, the most up-to-date uh, in scholarly research mm -hmm. in these various disciplines. But equally, and this is not hard to match, uh, finding professors who are also either pastors or have significant pastoral experience so that they are uh, not just providing this esoteric uh, you know, um, diatribe that, that only uh, interests people who are already particularly interested in these small nuances, uh, but can relate to this is how this is applies to the pulpit, this is how it applies in marriages, this is how it applies when you're standing at the graveside, and these sort of things, right? Um, and our students, I mean, I, I love our students. They come already uh, well-read and with good experiences in life and in their local churches and ministry. Uh, and they really appreciate the value of how this education can further sharpen them, uh, sort of round off, round off those uh, rough edges, as it were, mm -hmm. right in their, in their thinking and in their praxis. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can think of several students. One particularly, uh, he uh, wanted to pursue vocational ministry, uh, but he couldn't simply leave his job and he couldn't relocate, right? So he's just kind of in this, well, I want to, but I can't sort of thing. He started taking classes with ITS. Uh, and slowly but surely, he's increased the number of classes he takes per semester, and he's also doing now internships at his local churches, at his local singular local church. Uh, and so here's someone who's able to move towards ministry, couldn't make that full stop with his life as it was and relocate. Mm -hmm. ITS has given him the opportunity to grow into that more slowly. 
another brother uh, wants to be a pastor, but as I think I mentioned before, just didn't have the confidence. You know, I mean, you got other, pe- other people's lives and souls in your hands, right? So uh, you can do them a lot of damage if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, and he been had a couple opportunities to pursue uh, uh, taking churches, pastoring churches, but for that trepidation hasn't. Now he's taken uh, maybe a third of the degree so far, and the church has talked to him about filling that, that pulpit, filling that ministry, and he's uh, in discussion with them right now. Mm-hmm. Five months from now, he will likely be their pastor and continue with his, with his education. Mm-hmm. Uh, still one more I would think of. Uh, this uh, blessed lady uh, has run an evangelistic Bible study in her neighborhood for years and years and years, and she's always just been perplexed by the kinds of questions that she thinks kind of weird sometimes and how do I respond to this and get this conversation back on track she's taken a lot of classes and she's just so appreciative and so thankful uh, she's a big encouragement to us and she's always telling us stories about how now I know how to respond in this way mm-hmm. and we're reading this book instead of that one I was thinking a little more discerning uh, and so we just love having people who are pursuing vocational ministry and being empowered to that end but also people who just hey I don't have no intention of changing my career or whatever I just want to serve better in whatever capacity I'm doing mm-hmm. and we have them in class too um, and they, they, they read the books we assign them oh man that's so good to know that they come to class mm-hmm. with that stuff already prepared rather than mm-hmm. faking it you know as you sense uh, and, and, and I and this, this is a cliche I think this is a cliche you hear a lot from professors I've learned so much from my students uh, but I, I, I believe less and less that it's a cliche right. because I am totally learning from them and uh, if they if they knew how much uh, I learned from them, they would insist that I pay them tuition. So so let's, we'll, we'll we'll stop there. Uh, too yeah, bad. yeah, we'll take we'll excise that part of the tape. Yeah, right there for you, so you don't hear that. Uh, yeah, this uh, this idea this uh, there's actually a Hebrew word you you're probably well familiar with lamad, which depending on the context could be teaching or learning, and it goes both ways. It certainly does. It's right. a it's a constant. So uh, I want to give you some more opportunity though to brag on some of your professors. So okay. tell us about. Yeah. Where they come from, uh, you know, maybe some of what they're teaching, I don't know. But uh, talk about some of those profs. Yeah, so uh, our Pentateuch professor is John Curd. He comes from RTS Charlotte. Has uh, written extensively on archaeology in the ancient, or in the modern world, of A&E uh, material. Uh, he's written commentaries on the Pentateuch. He's just studied mm-hmm. this for decades. And, I mean, to think about that. He's studied the Pentateuch for decades in Hebrew mm-hmm. language and culture. And then he comes and he takes all of that and dispenses it in a matter of 15 weeks. I mean, you are getting decades of hard work funneled into your experience right there. So we love having John Curry. Uh, we had Dionade Tomfu teach on the on the Psalms. He, uh, he teaches at Bethlehem College and Seminary, or he did. Now he's relocated to Cameroon, where he's planting a church and a seminary there. He's from Cameroon, came here, he's gone back. Uh, that's great. Uh, we've had Bill Barkley teach on uh, Pauline theology, Steve Wellam. Who are these people? Well, Bill Barkley comes from RTS. Steve Wallen comes from Southern. Um, we've had local uh, church pastors who have doctorates in these fields also teach. And, um, yeah, I've been really encouraged in seeking out these professors, how many have said yes. Hmm. I, I thought it would be very difficult to find professors and convince them, hey, we come to Indianapolis three or even four weekends for four months in a row and commit all this time and we're – Will your wife and will your church approve of you being gone this long? And I've just been so encouraged by the number of yeses that we get to these requests. It's a nice affirmation that they believe in what we're doing and want to be part of it. And they're not embarrassed that I mentioned their name on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. You're saying? 
God is in it. Amen. Mm. Right. That's that's the right way to say it. This is this leads us really to uh, talk about how this rolls out. I mean, you, you've spoken just generally uh, in one sense about 15 weeks, but then you said three or four weekends in a row. So tell us about the process of the educational uh, issues that you're confronting here. Right. So if we have a local prof who lives in the area, then we'll offer a class one night a week for three hours that one night for 15 weeks in a row. Right. If not, then that's when we go to the extra labor of bringing somebody in, and they'll come in for a Friday night, three hours Friday night, and all day Saturday for class. Then they'll go home, and they'll come back and do that two or three more times during the semester. Mm -hmm. In between the times that those profs are in town, we put the students together with what we call local tutor. Now, who's mm -hmm. that? That's any practitioner of the gospel who's fruitful and wants to, to lead these students in thinking about how the material they learn on the weekend mm -hmm. applies in local church mm. ministry mm. right so these tutors will basically lead discussion groups we call them colloquia um around the books and the, the reading and the material that they learned on the weekend uh so that again we always in our education we always have this here's the immediate and long-term uh, uh ramifications of what you're learning and fruitfulness mm. of what you're learning in local church ministry if you ever need a tutor Holler. We'll yeah. Be, yeah. 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 Thoughtfully consider such things. This issue of uh, how we uh, how we communicate this is huge. Um, so let's be clear about something. You and I probably, I'm sure we agree on this, that you and I both think that the 15 weeks week by week is the best way to go in terms of disseminating information. Depending on the topic, but most topics. Most definitely. topics, definitely, yeah. yes. Yeah. But... You have come upon something. Of course, this has been useful in lots of different uh, educational academic venues and institutions where you bring somebody in for three or four intensives, let's call them, yeah. intensive weekends, and then allow that to kind of be expansive within the community again. Yeah. Let's talk a, a little bit about the necessity of that cohort expansive tutorial. Yeah. Well, the, the fact is... Uh, it takes time for things to sink in. Yes. Right. You hear something one day. That's right. And it's the next day you say, oh, wait, but what about this? And you have a question or whatever. That's right. Or something finally hits you with the, how important what, what you heard in class was. You thought it was just a mundane comment along the way. And you discover, oh, right. So the more time you have and the more opportunities you have to hear it again over a lengthy period of time is just more fruitful. I mean, again, place where seeds grow right think of your own garden the fruit comes up slowly there you go comes up slowly yeah so the necessity of thoughtful reflection interaction is a really crucial component to and education. particularly with other people with other, with people. other people yeah with other people one of the so speak to that issue for just a moment and we could have a whole program on this the hermeneutics of this but the problem of studying scripture alone yeah can you kind of talk about that within the context of the cohort tutorial uh, emphasis? Well, first of all, it's impossible. You, you, you are influenced by the, your, your, your uh, surroundings and your experiences in life. So the moment you think, well, it's just me objectively reading the scriptures here is the moment you start reading things into the text and you don't realize you're reading into the text, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so studying with others opens your eyes to the sort of hermeneutical or epistemological or whatever theological mistakes you're making raises new questions that you didn't even know were questions, but boy, now that you know it's a question, you realize how important it is. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's the way, I mean, think about the gifts. 
that Paul describes. I mean, he's, in, he's saying, I believe in 1 Corinthians, that God has intentionally not given any one person all the gifts, mm. right? Nor any one person no gifts. Mm. Therefore, you all need each other. Right. You all mm. need each other. It's the same basic concept that we need to spend time together, we need to bounce ideas off each other, we need to debate cordially, and we need to uh, also understand what other people are thinking without creating straw man and caricatures. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. And the necessity of being able to speak to a culture that desperately needs theological truth. Right. Yeah, the communication of, of these concepts for them is, is a huge issue as well. I wanted to ask this general question because uh, Dr. Posley and I, this is the baseline for our show. What does Indianapolis Theological Seminary, um, if, if so, let me start that sentence again. If somebody were to ask me, uh, what good does Indianapolis Theological Seminary give to Indianapolis? The whole point of our show is do good, do good, do good. What is the good that arises out of seminary beyond uh, what you've suggested already? Right. So in a lot of ways, we're not doing anything new that hasn't been done 2,000 years in the history of the church. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, but what I think is important about the name Theolo Indianapolis Theological Seminary is the first word, Indianapolis. We're doing that here locally. right? So... Uh, we don't need to send people who are serving fruitfully in the local church, who themselves uh, sense a call to ministry, and the church has affirmed that, and they want to be more thoroughly equipped with the kind of education the seminaries have historically given. Here's the point. They don't have to relocate. They don't have to go anywhere. I mean, every time someone leaves, that, that church loses someone who, I just said, was serving fruitfully, right? Okay? Uh, but equally, uh, where we don't have the capacity here in the city to train to that level, we're bringing in those professors and, again, working together. Um, so it's accessibility. Mm -hmm. It's accessibility. Uh, I think it's also, as we've talked about before, it's bringing churches together, right? So the, there, there are a lot of ways to be involved with ITS as a church. Uh, one is, of course, by financial uh, support. The other is by providing leadership. We have several churches whose, whose pastors are on the, uh, are on the board. Uh, all of our classes are offered in local churches. So we don't have a building with classrooms. We use local church buildings all over the city. So that's another way to contribute. Uh, and then still another one is to run an internship at your church. So there are tons of ways for churches to be involved and then also to work together. So um, the number of churches, yes, I, <laughs> I'm eager. Uh, the uh, number of churches that are therefore involved and working together, it's a beautiful image of, the kind of unity I think we need to achieve to be a more fruitful witness in this world. So there's the accessibility issue, there's the working togetherness, and then if we can dream a little bit, there's the future of seeding the city with graduates who will take over dying churches, plant new churches, continue the ministry of good, healthy churches into the future. I mean, it is, it is not an exaggeration. There's no exaggeration or uh, unrealistic to think that in the next 20 years, we'll graduate, it's like a low number, 200 students. If a quarter of them, a quarter of them, give their lives to vocational ministry here in Indianapolis, that's 50 more local churches mm -hmm. with strong pulpit ministries, thinking theologically, thinking carefully about not synchro synchronizing their religion, uh, here in Indianapolis that we don't have now. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, out of local churches come missionaries who go to the unreached peoples mm. of the world. Mm. So there's a, an immediate effect, and then uh, if we accomplish just a fraction of our of our goals, 
mm. a long-term fruitfulness that our grandchildren will thank us for. There you go. Dr. Posley? Well, I was just thinking, uh, I need to make an computer system. Yeah? Yeah. Computer system. You know, the curriculum that I teach kind of, you know, whets the appetite. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a few young people on the on our ministers. Yep. Uh, you know, pastors. Mm-hmm. They're interested in extended training more than I can do specifically mm. in Bible study. And just one more comment about that and tying the two comments you just made together, gentlemen. Um, is there an anticipation of a new course or curriculum that's going to be coming soon in this regard that, uh, yes. that would broaden? Yep. Okay, good. If, if I'm tracking with you, yes. I think what you mean is the fourth way we do good in the city is not just by training, training pastors, but anybody who wants to uh, engage on this level of study 95 credits for the MDiv can seem very daunting. 60 credits for the MA is still very big. Uh, we also have a 30-credit program that can be completed in, I mean, if you want to be fast about it, you can do it in a year, probably take two years, course here and there for two years, um, in various theological disciplines, a little bit of history, a little bit of apologetics, a little bit of biblical, a little bit of systematics, and then you can take more of each, any of those that, that suit you the best. Mm. Um, for people who simply want to love the Lord with all their, with all their mind mm. and give mm. themselves to that kind of study. If you wanted to leave uh, our listeners with one idea, 30 seconds, what would you say? If I had 30 seconds for the last idea, I would say uh, the world does not need Indianapolis Theological Seminary. The world needs healthy local churches that preach clearly, preach accurately, and hold out truth in a compelling way loving community. Now the question now becomes for 2,000 years, every generation is the previous generations to thank if they're experiencing what I just Mm -hmm. described. But equally owes it to the next generation to continue that. So how can healthy local churches work together for their own sake but also propagating this to the next generation? Mm -hmm. That's where ITS comes along and that's where our mission statement is to collaborate with local churches for biblical and theological training. There you go. And uh, we're eager to do that, and we ask people to pray for us and support us. Yeah. Well, we're really happy that we've had the opportunity to hear from Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski today, president of the Indianapolis Theological Seminary. You've been listening to Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. My co-host, Dr. Clyde Posley, and I, we are glad to be here with you every single week. Wednesday morning from 10 until noon, and we'll look forward to next week when we return again, hearing from another person in the Indianapolis community who is doing good, Titus Chapter 3. Until then, we'll see.